Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli K25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, will get to Chris Franklin in a few minutes, talk some Eagles, Cowboys. I don't care about Thursday night football. This is our first Friday without James Harden on the Sixers basketball team. Talk to me. Uh, the Steelers won. I, I, I don't care. I really, I really don't care. Uh, I'm, you're, I'm you're just happy Sixers. right now. I am happy. You're just happy that, that the cancer is added down. I am. I am happy. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I look, the Sixers are three and one. They got their third straight win last night. They're playing. without any of the players that they got in the Harden deal. No. And, and they had some, so what is that? So what does that tell you? Well, look, I mean, I think the Harden deal did a lot of things short term mm-hmm. and long term. You know, he was never I kept telling people, like, do you think they got what he's worth? First of all, I, I didn't think he was worth as much as he thought he was worth. Second, I thought he's worth more to the Clippers than he was to the Sixers because he didn't want to be here. So he was going to be a problem. So whatever you got was a plus at that point because you were getting out from the Ben Simmons contract and the Harden contract. You got Tucker off the court. So you got faster by including him in the deal. You got three expiring contracts. You got younger. You got younger. Three mm-hmm. got three guys shoot thirty seven percent and are six six or taller on expiring contracts. Uh, Martin is twenty two years old, averaged thirteen and six with the Rockets last year. So right. you have more depth on the team, but I don't think in the long run those players are going to end up being here. I think those are assets for them to try and trade midseason. And what they got was what they didn't have when they wanted to try and get Drew Holiday was assets, draft capital. See, I'm not necessarily buying that. Okay. You know, there has there is this brainwashing that has gone on in the NBA that you need three stars, right? I mean, that seems to be who were the three stars last year when the Denver Nuggets won the won the championship. So I agree with you. Who? No. Who were they? They weren't. No, they I were two. I agree with you that I don't think you need three stars. In fact, when you okay, get so, three so, stars, yes. Yeah, so I think it hurts your depth yeah, so but, much. Yeah, but look look what they got. I, I don't know what Batum has left. He's not that old, but he seems like he's been around forever. And he started on a high and seemed to have plateaued and went backwards a little bit. Let's assume that you can get a little bit of the old Batum. And K.J. Martin still has upside. Those two alone make a big difference. And and you've now moved Ubre into this, the starting rotation. So you have you have at least ten guys, and by the way, Furkan Korkmaz, we keep forgetting about him and laughing about him, but he had ten points last night. Played so physical too. There is a, there is a possibility that this team could gel, and and you shouldn't automatically assume that they're going to sit there and say oh, we're going to get rid of everybody next year except Embiid and Maxi. I don't think they're going to do that, but you and I have talked for years about this ownership group. Mm -hmm. Uh, They like to win the headline as much as they like to win the title and the guys that they got don't win the headline. So that's why I think eventually there will be a move. Uh, But look, I think what they did, I was surprised they got as much as they did. They got basically three first round picks, two second Mm -hmm. round picks, the players, and they got out from under Harden, who I don't get the Clippers. I don't really care, but he can't Resign with them before the end of the season. He's going to be a free agent. So they're going to have to go through that whole dance again. 
And they gave away all these assets to the Sixers. So, look, I ain't mad at them. But I get to watch this team on the court that right now is the second best team in the NBA in transition four games in. Second best in loose balls. Third best on fast breaks. Fourth on deflections. They forced 19 turnovers last night. They have four players averaging 20 plus points four games in. That won't carry through the season. That's something exciting to watch to start the season for. I was asking you all summer, are you looking forward to these Sixers? And you're like, no, no, I don't want to watch. Don't want to see it. Don't. Do you feel differently now? I'll watch. Okay. I'm still not, I'm still not, as much as I said the positive a minute ago, before you rattled all that stuff off, it doesn't change the fact that this is still a second round exit team in my mind until they prove otherwise. So I'm not, I'm not particularly worried about whether or not I need to go run back and buy season tickets and worry about the, the, the NBA championship coming back to Philadelphia. I don't think that's happening under the current construction. I just think that there's a chance of it more than there was beforehand because Harden's gone and you brought here some complimentary pieces. What I, what I would be happy about as a Sixers fan is Joel Embiid, at least for the moment, seems happy with it. His comment about Harden and about Harden touched the ball every single possession. Well, and that was in it response. Was as big a shot as you can get at him. That was in response to Harden saying, "I'm not a system player. I'm a system." At his intro, yeah. Well, un- unfortunately, I, I guess we could say it on the replay podcast. We can't say it on the air. <laughs> no. I responded to you with <laughs> no. You, uh, I anxiously awaited the response that you were going to send me when I sent that to you on text message. In fact, you, 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 when you send me stuff like that, you have to make sure that your young children are not around when I get those responses. You know, I got to be careful now because they look at the phone and they read it and see things. So it's like, they're yeah, I don't want to be the bad influence. Yeah. Don't get me in trouble with my wife, man. That won't be cool. Look well, I don't me. care if I get you in trouble. I just don't want to be the bad influence. Teaching my kids bad things and stuff. Uh, be joined by. Yes. Wait a second. You take them to sporting events. Don't blame me if they've learned how to curse. I do. Brandon wants to go to the Sixers now. He's all yeah. about going down to a game. He's he's gotten over his Phillies tears and he's moved on. Well, to the there goes his now. college fund. <laughs> right. Well, you'll just get me seats. It'll be OK, Jeff. We'll get it all set I up. I can't afford them now that with the scotch. Uh, that's right. We're going to talk about the scotch in a little bit. Uh, we will uh, go to your college roommate freshman year towards the end of the show. Why don't we leave our basketball talk there and let's get to some football talk. All right, it's Eagles Dallas week. Let's talk some football with Philadelphia Eagles beat writer for NJ.com, Chris Franklin. Chris, thanks for giving us a few minutes. Hey, no worries. Thanks, you guys, very much for having me on. All right, we'll we'll look forward to Eagles Dallas in a few minutes. I wanted to start looking back last week. The Eagles are now 7-1, and one, struggled at times against the Commanders. Um, congratulations on surviving that stadium. What a terrible place to go cover and see a game. Uh, but lots of Eagles fans there. Talk to us about what you saw on the field and what the players were saying about it afterwards. Well, I got to say, first off, you know, it was an improvement not seeing uh, stuff falling, like draining down from the stadium. So, you know, hey, you know what? New ownership, hey, it's a positive start. <laughs> but uh, more seriously, when you look at the team, I thought that it was one of those wins where they could hang their hat on it. They were able to stick around, survive, and come back from it. There were still some concerning things when you look at it long term when it comes to the middle of the field and protecting in the pass defense. I still think even with the addition of Kevin Byer, you know, they still are trying to find their way, the right people to put in there, especially in the slot. So you have that. 
offensively, it looks like they're finally starting to click. I mean, we've been waiting for them to start to show up like, hey, you know what? Where's this offense? Where's the big play? Where's that one? And then now you have A.J. Brown all of a sudden popping up. So I think when the guys, they, they knew they knew they should have beaten the commanders. It was one of those things where they should have been, frankly, it should have been a little bit bigger of a margin. But I think they, they look at it and say, you know what? Okay, we survive, and, and now we're just trying to advance and continue to get better as the week progresses. You know, Chris, even though they've added Byron and it obviously takes time to, for somebody to assimilate into the defense, do you think now they have the pieces on defense and the right person running the defense to get back to where they are where they were last year or even better? I'll, I'll go in reverse. I think when you look at the defensive coordinator part with Sean Desai, I think you got to give him a, a, a gold star when you look at what he's been able to do with what the situation's been in because you've not you haven't had that consistency in the secondary when you look at it. I mean, if you have injuries, first you lose Avante Maddox. You have guys that are going in and out like Reap Blankenship. He's been dinged up. You lost Bradley Roby before he's now week to week, and they're still finding solutions to go ahead and, and stop and try to stop these offenses. So I think piece-wise, I like the Bayard signing. I think he shores up a lot of stuff, and I think he has another defensive voice on there and, and leadership voice on the, in that back end. Piece-wise, I still think they still – and it's pretty much stuck because it's about deadline pass, but I think they still need to work on that get, getting solidified in terms of the slot area. I mean, you're hoping Roby comes back and he he's able to solidify that. Ricks, I mean, you got to feel better about Ricks in the way he's starting to improve, especially as an undrafted free agent rookie. You see that? And then Sidney Brown, you know, he's still learning that position as well, too. So you're hoping that these young guys are able to experience a hold off the fort until Roby comes back. And I think once you have that in a couple of games, once Roby's back in that, I think it can be all right. I mean, it's been a little bit of up and down. You know, you, they shut down the Dolphins on Sunday night the week before, and then they give up 12 pass completions of 15 yards or more against Washington. So you see how they're kind of trying to make the pieces fit and, and make them work. I want to ask you about the defensive line. Obviously, we saw um, the injury to Jalen Carter's back. At one, how is he feeling? But two, uh, Hassan Reddick has kind of become the closer on this defense. He had a huge sack at the end of the game. They were having trouble getting to him all game long. Talk about the role that he's played on this defense now that he's got the cast off. Well, I think uh, when it comes to Jalen Carter, he was back out there at practice again. And I think it's it, – it, I'll, I'll admit it right now, when you saw him walking back and you hear back, you're like, uh-oh, please don't want to be a microfracture. Don't want to be a sprain. Don't want to be a strain or what have you. And in fact, he's – and I saw, remember walking, seeing him walk out the locker room and he was walking gingerly like, oh, no, here comes like a week or two. Now he's back there pushing the two-man sled, and he looks like he's the powerful Jalen Carter of all. So I think they dodged a bull on that end. But when you look at Hassan Reddick, and I mean, how, I mean, we just look at the history of Philadelphia sports, and you look at the guys who it seems like you always wait for a time and goes, "Well, oh, this guy doesn't come up when it's big. This guy doesn't come up." He seems to be the antithesis of it. He's he, oh, sorry, excuse me. He seems to change that things well too, change that dynamic to a point where you're like you're, you're almost expecting now. If it's the last, if the offense, if the opposing offense has the ball now, you're expecting him now to get a quarterback hit or to get a pressure to, to have a turnover. He's been dynamic. And you look at after that cast came off his thumb, was, I don't know if it was more of a mental thing as that, because I thought he's still getting some rushes in there. But it seems like once that cast came off that thumb, he's just been more, uh, he's had more success with that. He's able to get inside and set up his pass rush moves to the point where you're like, all right, he's back up there with the names of Bosa. You look at some of the other top uh, edge rushers too. So I think it's the Eagles finally have a guy in that. And when you couple him on that line with with Carter, and when you have Josh Sweat, who I think is not even getting is getting who's been playing really well and he deserves some attention too. You can't shift your line either way. And now you're like, 
Yeah, one on one, especially go five man lines. I mean, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm like, all right, that works good. Just got to work on the back end. All right, so let's talk about the offense for a minute. Jalen Hurts, how did he look this week? Does it look like the, there is an injury? Is the injury completely healed? Is he going to be able to run? I saw it, it was it's funny you mentioned that because it looked like when they have him in the practice, they, they have the quarterbacks on the far field. They always have them warm, warming up that way and doing that. And so you're running, you see him jogging, and it looks fine, but we don't get to see the, the practice. Well, I'm going to see him at full speed running zone reads, especially with what happened last year and the success they had at least keeping Micah Parsons in check was with the zone read and they kept him doing that unblocked. unblocked. I think it's still going to linger a little bit. I think that bye week's going to be big, especially bone bruises. It's a matter. It's a matter of just managing the pain at least till it heals up. So we all know he's he he's tough. He's not going to. It's one of the things we got to save for himself sometimes. It's like no, nah, he'll go out like oh you're limping. Yeah, I'm I'm fine. He's one of those type guys. But I think it's going to be one of those things where we're going to see him. It still impact him just for maybe another week or two. And they're trying to work on it. They're they're trying all these different treatment things. I've heard he's been there for a long time. So it, it's. I think it's still play a role, but to a point where I, I wonder how much the Cowboys may take a 15 just to go low, just to impact them. So. It, this, off, this offense is third in points per game, third in yards per game, first in first down efficiency, first in first downs, first in time of possession. Same time, they've struggled in the red zone. They had two more fumbles inside the five-yard line this week, this last week against the Commanders. And at times, the run game kind of disappears there were I think there were four runs called in the first half to 25 pass plays I know they were behind but that's really early in the game do you have thoughts on how Brian Johnson is doing and obviously AJ Brown is dominant but how they're going to clean up these red zone issues I think what the the red zone is 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 concerning it's almost it's a matter of predictability at times and I think it's also a matter of personnel they have in there. I think predictability, is, it seems like, especially when they get in that deep red zone, where they're 10 yards or you know it's going to be a run play of some sort. I think teams have gotten on to that as well, too. Like, okay, first, oh, like, this, this is going to be probably a dive or off tackle. I want, I want to see a mix. Maybe it's a play-action pass that comes off of that as a tendency breaker to get teams off the, that scent and, and going that way. And also, I, the team still thinks very highly Kenny Gainwell, but I, when I look at the skill sets of what DeAndre Swift brings and what Gainwell brings, I want to see more. I want to see more Swift. They're tough. They almost have an almost the exact identical number of touches in that side, that inside in the deep red zone. I think when you look at the power, the shiftiness that Swift brings, and he's still able to catch the ball out the backfield. If you still want to run to, to have that, we like you have a game will give the ball to your best players in those positions. I think you could have a lot more success with that. So I hope Brian Johnson mixes it up a little bit more, and I, I want to see more Swift to take advantage of those opportunities. What do you think is the reason that they haven't been using Swift more? I think you, you got to factor in his injury history. I think they're trying to get get by with this whole entire season, you know, trying to trying to manage his snaps, trying to manage the hits he takes because they want they foresee themselves going far in the playoffs. They don't want to potentially lose him. And you look at what you've had in these past couple of years with Swift. You know, he gets it's around this time of the year where you see the injury pop up with him. So I think it's more of a management injury management perspective with that. And they also think very highly of Kenny Gainwell. We mix those two together. I think that's where you're starting to see that. It's starting to see that as well, too. But I, I, Kenny, for me, Kenny's better in between the 20s. I mean, I know he could be a north-south runner and he's shifty, but I, I just think that's the guy to go up with. I'm kind of with you. I, I think it's backwards. I don't understand why they give it to Gamewell down there. I'd rather see Swift. He can You can do more with him. You know, I did, you mentioned that they only made the move for Bayard there on the back end with Howie. Other teams made some moves too. Can you talk about, I mean, now we're going to get to see Chase Young 
for a potentially third. And if we see him in the playoffs four times this year, uh, talk about what some of the other teams in the in the division did um, to, to make themselves stronger. It, it's been an arms race. <laughs> it was basically an arms race. It's like, look, you're looking at this, like you look at the top teams in the NFC, it's like, wow, okay, they had this. I I think the biggest move, obviously you mentioned the young one, I, the, San Fran needs to do something because that defense, I don't know, with all those names, we have Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Armistead. You look at the defense, you're like, something's missing. And that pass rusher, I, you, they're hoping that Young's able to do that. But like we were talking about Swift, you got to make sure he's healthy and staying around there. I think if he is healthy, it's similar to what the Eagles have with Sweat and Reddick. That gives you two edges that you can't really shift to the line. And I think it, it just enhances the ability of, of Bosa in that part. I think that the Lions, I really think that's a really underrated move where people's Donovan Peoples-Jones going there. Because I look at that, that when you see Peoples-Jones the way he was effective with it, I think it's just it's just the whole factor of that quarterback situation in Cleveland. I look at the what he can do potentially outside with with Williams, with Gibbs, and everything else. I think he can give you that big play threat. And I look now if there's a potential matchup, say in the NFC in the NFC Championship game, the Lions if the Eagles play the Lions, that's a guy you now have to worry about covering given the secondary issues that you're worried about. So I look at those two things. And listen, the Josh the, the Dobbs trade. I know it's one of those things where it's like hey, Dobbs, this is going to Cardinals, the Vikings. Man. That might. You, you got to wonder if he's able to get the pick up the system well enough. And he has one of those games that they still have to play the Lions twice. If he knocks off the Lions, one of them, the Eagles should send him Bob Champagne or whatever in order to, think, to give you that extra thing. So there's some interesting moves, but they're all very impactful. You know, it's hard to believe that, that, that Dobbs is a guy that you think about, you know, just a year ago, he was on Cleveland and, and, and then he ends up on Arizona. And now he's on a team that looks like it, it can actually contend when three weeks ago it didn't. What, what exactly? I know you're not the Cleveland Browns <laughs> guy. Oh, can you can can you please can somebody please explain to me what Cleveland's doing? It's organization. It's organizational. I, I I wish I I don't know what they're doing. It's it starts with the top down, Jimmy Haslam, and I don't know. I think it makes you appreciate a little bit more what they have in Philadelphia with Jeffrey Lurie. Mm-hmm. That's my point. That's where I'm going with this. <laughs> it really does because you look at it, you you look at. I, I at first I thought like okay you know what they're turning things around they made a couple of changes when it came to Stefanski when they hired their general manager like all right it's good and then he had to medal and get to Sean Watson it's like why you could you could get a, a, a younger quarterback to develop him Stefanski's proven he's going to do that hey would have mm-hmm. been all right and you just go in, you, you're making these weird moves I, I love PJ Walker I still I still really like him too back from the Taser Temple and everything too mm-hmm. PJ does the best he can but. PJ's not a top five, top 10 quarterback. And Deshaun Watson, when that guaranteed money, he's regressed. Anyway, it's regressed to the thing. And then I point down on Haslam with all that, bringing him into the situation. It's just, oh, Philadelphia people need to be lucky to have Jeffrey. Oh, well, we can also <laughs> talk about another dysfunctional organization, the Raiders. Uh, I mean. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Cowboys, but go ahead. Uh, we'll get to the, we'll get, believe me, we'll get to the Cowboys in a minute, but I can't let it go. I mean, you're a man that follows the NFL. When I sent Jeff the messages, he goes, it's just the Raiders. Uh, total turnover in that organization. They're paying like $40 million to two coaches now that they fired at the same time Jimmy Garoppolo gets benched. Uh, talk, talk about just for a second as an observer of the NFL, um, the Raiders. I mean, if, if you know what, first, well, first we should get Derek Carr on and ask him what he thinks. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. I'll say if, if we can form a coaching thing real quick, I think we can make some money here for the next couple of years because they're just handing out free money to all the coaching staffs for being mm-hmm. on it. But I, I, I don't, I didn't get the McDaniels hire to begin with. 
I mean, you've heard all the things that came out of the Broncos. And I don't think it's a sure. Well, he's had time to think about it. He's to change stuff. No, he showed you the stripes early on. Anytime you have Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, and you don't know how to utilize them properly, and you're sticking with Jimmy G the whole entire thing, that for me, I was like, how do you not? How do you not get a semblance of an office? At least finish fifteenth in the office. It makes no sense. And so right, they're right, they're right. I don't know if Mark Davis is so busy worried about the Super Bowl committee and everything else. But oh wait, my team's really actually really bad right now. What's going on? What's going on? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so. It's a desert dumpster fire away for that one too. That, that I mean, I, I hope Antonio Pierce has a has a chance to at least do something for the rest of this year and improves that he could potentially take over and get get the interim tag off him. But that's that's that's, that's, a, that's asking a lot for that for that franchise. All right, so let's get to this week. Uh, like I said, it's Eagles Dallas week. I feel like there was more juice growing up for this week. Maybe it's just because. They haven't played Dallas in as many competitive games lately. But Dallas comes in at five and two. They blew wait, out wait. the Rams. Ma- last maybe week. it's maybe it's because the Cowboys haven't been to the Super Bowl since you were a kid. That too. <laughs> that too. Well, when I when I was growing up, like the like that was they were better teams at that point too, and they were winning more. So, but they come in at five and two. They blew out the Rams last week. The Eagles really have an opportunity here. They can go up two in the East. They can really kind of put a foothold on as they go into the break. Talk about the matchup this week, what you're looking out for. There's a couple of matchups I'm looking at. I'm looking at how the secondary does against CeeDee Lamb because that's where, that's everywhere they target. And, and to a man, we talked to James Bradbury, talked to Kevin Byer and everything. They know that the ball, the ball's going to go his way a lot. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a day as a, it's a game that he has about like 15 targets or 15 touches, whether it be through the air or, or running through the ground. And I think it's going to be one of those things where not only do you have to worry about him in the slot, but you got to worry about those, those edge rushers keeping contain on those runs because he can break one for a while. So you got to worry about that. When it comes to Dak, that's another thing too. I mean, Dak, for some reason, when it comes to the Eagles, he, he seems to feel like he, he, he the way he's a, he's a competent quarterback. He really he really is the way he, he attacks the ball down the field. So I think that's another one when you look at that. The Eagles, I think, would do a good job when it comes to Micah Parsons. They hold him in check. I have no. I, I you feel confident when you have Lane Johnson out there doing as well as he's still continuing to play with that sackless streak. And then on the other side, oh yeah, you got the PFF number one tackle right on the outside with Jordan Mailata, who says that you know he doesn't even understand how he's number one and not Lane Johnson's not top three. Yeah, we talked to him about that. It was it was fun about that. But I look at that. What did he say? Oh yeah, he said he he doesn't he, he's not really worried about it. Mm-hmm. And he felt one of those things that he felt like Lane Johnson's being in the top three. He really believes really believes that just by the way he's playing at a high level. So he was when I asked about it. He was like, yeah, I'm I'm not even really worried about it. A lot a lot of linemen around the league they look at that and and, and speaking to them and and speaking to some of the. People like in passing talk and talk about for other stories. They're just like PFF. They're not the biggest fans of because there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. Whether the, the type of play, zone reads, or RPOs really kill them on that too. So they're not the biggest fans of, of PFF. I did want to ask you one more offensive line question. Uh, they they opened the window for Cam Jurgens, who's coming off IR, but Sua Opeta really struggled last week. And I saw you tweet uh, on Thursday that uh, Tyler Steen was getting some reps out there. Can can you talk about what they, and, and that's important with Micah Parsons and how they're going to block this and scheme this up. So what are you seeing out there at practice? Well, especially with him getting first rep, te- working with Elaine Johnson and K- Jason Kelsey, that was a surprise. We weren't expecting that at all. Well, I was like, 56. Okay, what's going on here? So, yeah, they, they feel confident enough. I mean, Opeta's dealing with the hip injury, and, you know, he's over the last couple weeks, he hasn't been as effective on that right side, and when you look at you, you don't. I think they want to give 
Jurgens a couple extra weeks just to really get really get back to shape. I mean, knowing this team, wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden, oh yeah, by the way, you started. Well, thanks for telling us getting us set up for that. <laughs> I, I doubt that. But I look at a, I look at his team from from talking to everybody, from talking to him today, talking to a couple of the linemen, it feels like he's ready to start. And it's kind of shocking. I mean, you thought that you know he's gonna be the right guard of the future. You know he's gonna be that. But to have him come in and for Stoutland, Jeff Stoutland to have that much confidence in him to begin with, I think that's a huge thing. I mean, looking at the way he played, and granted, it was it was only six snaps, but they were a pretty effective six snaps in a high pressure situation going in the half. So I look at that. He's made big strides. I mean, playing from right, I mean, I mean, playing left tackle at one point, but looking at right guard, he's made big strides in there. Look at just seeing him work out over. So listen. When you're going against Michael Parsons and everything, I think they'll protect him a lot from doing that. And he's it's better that he's not in space against him versus even that in that phone booth, in that proverbial phone booth and, and going against the interior line. So I think he can hold his own. I, I truly do. These linemen have a lot of pride in what they do. And this group has been together and seems like a cohesive bunch. Is there a motivation or do you see a motivation, an extra motivation in just wanting to shut Micah Parsons up? <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 don't, I don't even think it's that. And they, 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 they all truly respect them. They really, truly, they, they, it's one of those things where it's one of those things like I don't want to be the guy that gives up a big play. I don't want to be that. You going? No, I don't want to get that. It's one thing like they don't, they don't want to do that. They do it for all the lobby, but specifically with see like Parsons when you see a Donald, he's on that level, and they want to make sure that they get, they, they know what's going on with Jalen. They know what's going on with this offense. They know what they have going to this blocking scheme. To a man, each of them don't want to. Be the guy that lets down and let the pressure go through. So, whether it's Parsons, whether it's Donald, they just treat whoever it is, whether it's you, me, or any of us going on. They're like, yeah, we're not just not going to beat you. It's that 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 quiet confidence that they have, they want to try to block everything up. And that comes through when you watch the Jason Kelsey documentary on Amazon. The pride that they all take in the job that they do. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed watching that, and you could see that that line that they motivate themselves. Uh, and I mean, you guys get to talk to them every day, just, you know, the mindset of Jalen before we let you go, uh, spotlight, like he's never had before, obviously dealing with the bone bruise, but at the same time, his numbers are spectacular. Uh, and he's got this connection with AJ Brown where AJ Brown's got six games in a row at over 125 yards. Just talk about the connection there and the weapons that he has that they're trying to piece together. I think it's funny now. Now we see what's going on with this. It's funny looking back toward training camp now, where they were kept working on that back shoulder throws. Him, Devontae Smith, and all those guys. You know, like they're actually pretty good at this. Like the way, especially the when it came to spacing, the timing, and everything. And they're using that a lot more now this year, especially these last couple of weeks. Just that that one handed catch and that one too. You can almost you can attribute that all the way back to watching them in July and August when they're trying to perfect that, and you see it over and over again. It's been really good. I mean. Jalen, it's a tough job, especially with being a quarterback on this team. Not only do you have to deal with us in the media, you have to find a way to basically play the point guard, make sure you keep give everybody enough touches to be happy about this. And oh yeah, smooth everything over and be that leader that you know you can you want to go deep into the playoffs with the Leafs of Super Bowl. And he's it's, it's a heavy burden to carry, but he's done a very good job. And from everything I heard, it's a quiet. He, he's really quiet with us. And he doesn't like he doesn't want to give. It's the same the saving in him. It started when it comes out when you see us talking and just right. But when you talk to everybody, when he's in a locker room and everything else, man, he's he's a fiery guy. He's 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 calm. He, he goes fiery calm, and he he finds ways to motivate everybody else. And you need that in your quarterback. And to see the year that he's having, coming after MVP runner up season, it's almost like if he gets a couple more wins here. I think we're talking to him as a final three, as a finals for MVP again. And if they 
happened to have the best record in, I think this year he might actually get the MVP. You guys are sitting there at practice and you have a chance to talk to the players. Do you guys have an over-under bet on how long it takes to talk about Taylor Swift? Oh, God. <laughs> you said the name that shall not be spoken. No. <laughs> no we can't, I can't well, I mean, poor Jason Kelsey. <laughs> he's not even dating her and he's got to deal with this. <laughs> like TMZ Philadelphia. Like, okay, so what are you doing this way? Is Taylor coming to Thanksgiving dinner? Well, no, 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 we keep it. I, that's one of the things like I'm keeping it all stuff like, please, no, no, no. And, and I'm getting worried now, especially that first game after the bye weeks of Chiefs, like, Oh no! Please, please don't get the email that we're going to have to cover as well. Please don't. Cut it. And it's almost like you hear the dingling. Oh no! Please don't tell me to tell us a story. Oh, hey, cool! This is an advertisement <laughs> spam. I never thought so I to see things. Great. <laughs> uh, you'll be after doing more stories. People can catch it over at NJ.com, South Jersey Times, Lehigh Valley Live, Times of Trenton, Philadelphia Eagles beat writer Chris Franklin. They can also follow you at C Franklin News. Thanks so much for giving us some time, man. Look forward to following you and hope to get to talk to you more later in the season. Hey, it was a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. All right. We we can't finish things this week without uh, going back to something we've covered throughout the season. Uh, Jeff, obviously, it was painful for us not really wanting to watch the World Series. But as our listeners will know at this point, you had some different rooting interests. I, I have been critical of your poor negotiating skills around these interests. But um, we have somebody special on to join you and talk about this. So I will let you recap how we arrived at this point where the Texas Rangers have won the World Series and you now have to pay off a bet. Well, first first of all, I shouldn't recap how the bet happened since we actually have the person who got the better <laughs> end of the bet. Um, but even, even after Adolis Garcia went down, e- even after Scherzer got hurt, I sent both of you. I believe a text saying they just seemed destined. Like there was something about this team that no matter how many people got hurt. I mean, remember they started this season with one of the best pitchers in the game DeGrom, who was their big free agent signing. He didn't make it out of the gate. And it just seemed like, you know, every year there's a team that's destined and and they just seemed no matter what happened, they were going to go. Well, and they lost the people in the series and they kept playing, but who we have here is your freshman roommate from college, Bill, who uh, apparently took advantage of your poor negotiating skills to... They've uh, improved, just so we're clear. Uh, yeah, like, improved. this is what... Okay, so, Bill, this is what I don't get. <laughs> like, I worked with Jeff when he... When I was at the law firm, you know, before we were doing the show I together, was a pre-med student. I know, <laughs> I know that he can negotiate deals and reviews contracts and things like that. Um, how did you get Jeff to agree that he either had to die or get you whiskey? If- well, I, I didn't have to work very hard to get him to to agree because the whole bet was his idea, Jason. So and and thanks for asking, because I'm looking forward to uh, uh, looking forward to the payoff here, as I have for a long time. We're it's the it's the late 80s uh, and we're big baseball fans uh, watching games at, in college. And Jeff, in exasperation at some uh, late inning collapse by the by the Texas Rangers, 
throws up his hands and, de- and declares, I'll bet you a bottle of good scotch that the Rangers never win a World Series in our lifetime. So I, thinking quickly and not being as dumb as I look, I said, you're on and shook and shook on it with him. And then after a minute, Jeff says, wait, how do I win? I said, this was your idea and we shook on it. <laughs> so uh, so through through the many journeys since then of Julio Franco batting titles and Juan Gonzalez uh, home run titles and that doggone David Freeze uh, complicating things uh, when they were one strike away in 2011, uh, I've been uh, having to buy uh, my own scotch when I'm want a little dram uh, ever since until now. Uh, so last night and the magic of the great boots, Bo- Bruce Bochy out of retirement and a, and a Rangers team that uh, put things together in the right ways. And the great Evan Carter coming out of, out of the uh, minors to make such great contributions. Now I'm going to, I'm going to have, uh, have that little dram on Jeff Nickel. So, <laughs> all right, Jeff. So more than a nickel. So, to work. I was gonna say, so, so there's been. Um, I should have been saving up these nickels in a yeah, jar for thirty seven right. years. Yeah, that's I mean, what right. I should have so been doing. Bill's been sort of doing what I do. So I basically just text Jeff random things during the game. You have been texting him potential drinks that he could buy you. Potential as, brands, yeah, as a set of brands that you would find acceptable to pay off the bet. All right, so Jeff, tell me, how does it feel now that you've lost a bet that you had no chance? to win uh and and you have to to get him a a bottle of scotch now well first of all i could win the problem is you had to die enjoy the rewards that's a bad so it was my son that would as usual benefit you know that's a bad bet right i I gotta tell you there's like a sense of relief about this Mm. (laughs) every, every year for almost four decades I have to go through a baseball season. Usually, <laughs> usually by the all-star break, I'm good. But even right. this year, there was a point at the end of the season, I'm going, all right, I got another year. I'm good. And then it, all of a sudden the playoffs hit. And it was like, I, I and to be fair, I tried to weasel. Oh, oh okay. I need to hear <laughs> I did this. Try to weasel. What, so so what I will be honest here? with you and tell you there was a point at which when the Phillies were in this, I said, hey, Bill, you know, if the Phillies and the Rangers make the World Series and the Phillies win, mm-hmm. is the bet over? Oh, okay, and, it, and, and as as the good guy he is. So he wait, said, are you telling no. are you telling me that it's it's your fault that you mushed the Phillies because you tried to get away with not having to buy a bottle of scotch? So yeah, it's my fault. It's my fault that Craig Gimble melted down. No, I, that's I, I wouldn't start that. Rumor. I would. Oh, I, wouldn't start I, I that would. Rumor. Yeah. Look, that's the beauty of having a microphone in front of us. I can say whatever I want about Jeff and just kind of make it up along the way. But mm-hmm. this story was so good, I didn't have to make anything up. That's what made this so much fun, <laughs> right. To follow along. And, and there were times when they seemed to let him off the hook. There were losing streaks. There were those almost unaccountable losses to Seattle right at the end of the year that cost them the division that they'd led for for so much of 2023. And you thought, wait, if they have to go on the road to the Rays and then to a very good Orioles team and then probably have the Astros after that, this sounds like an impossible thing to do for for a pitching staff with a lot of questions and injured Scherzer, uh, DeGrom, who actually will get a ring because <laughs> he pitched a few innings in <laughs> April. Uh, so congratulations, Jacob, uh, on, on, on your triumph here. Uh, 
you know, that there were all kinds of, of moments, let alone anytime they bring in Araldus Chapman at a big moment where I would think, OK, you know, looks like looks like the bet is going to continue, you know, for an, for another time. But they the uh, the bullpen management was was great. The timely hitting and really the Corey Seager with that stroke built for Yankee Stadium that you know, but he signed in Texas. Uh, he was just a remarkable, uh, remarkable World Series hero again, as he was for the Dodgers. So. It was fun to watch, although you know I was I was sorry to see your your Phillies lose. Um, and as a as a Tigers and Red Sox fan, I certainly uh, had long since given up any other cheering interest besides the Scotch. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So now the question is: Will you maintain your Texas Ranger fandom? No, he doesn't care. He got well, a Scotch. Well, that's it. You just you yeah, just profit from them and move pretty on. Much, it's pretty much it. Now, I, you know. His fandom was <laughs> transactional, Jeff. Although <laughs> if, they, if they keep Bochi in there managing uh, and, you know, and I don't learn anything bad about some of these wonderful young players that they brought up, I think I'll have a soft spot for the Rangers for a long time. Although maybe next year you can have a little uh, Zoom with somebody who's been a lifelong Mariners fan trying to get into the World <laughs> Series. So we'll see. Somebody else. Yeah. You know, last week we had Doug, we had a former Texas Ranger in Doug Blanville, and now we have mm-hmm. their, their biggest fan for this year on. So it's that's uh, right. It, it is. It is huge. So you have a theory as to why it took them this long to win the World Series. I do, I do have a theory. I also and, and I have a theory for the Mariners' problems too. My theory for Texas is that. Uh, especially with, you know, the Mariners the don't want to be dragged into this, <laughs> the intensifying te- uh, heat of, of climate change and more even even, of course, uh, in earlier decades and how hot it would be at the old Arlington Stadium right under the sun. And those uh, for the dugout and more the sun blazing right into the Texas dugout that it just wore out the players, even if they started at uh at at seven o'clock central time, they would ju- it would just you'd see pitching performances, hitting performances just dive at the end of the summer into into September, uh, into October, year after after year, even with some excellent uh, players. So my theory is that Globe Life, with its uh, with its nice roof and air conditioning. Maybe uh, maybe some of that preservation of their of their health and not getting worn out by the heat. Maybe that helped. Uh, of course, it also helps to have an experienced and steady manager in the in the uh, in the dugout as well. Not that I'm ripping on on some of the earlier because they've they've had some wonderful managers over the years. No, we, yeah. we agree. Bruce Bochy yeah. is the best manager in baseball. It's it's yeah. not even close anymore. What he has done in this one year and what he did when he was in San Francisco and even what he did before that. He is one of the greatest managers of our lifetime. It's it's really something. It's really something. He knows when to when to listen to the probabilities and the analytics, but also as as I saw a quote this morning, he looks at who's uh, who is the man in the batter's box and who's the man on the mound. <laughs> like, what am I actually seeing in front of me? And that's I think that's a that's a message that a lot of other managers need to hear. Speaking of managers, can I leave you guys with a trivia question? Sure. Well, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff so, it doesn't mean either of us first, can answer it. Yeah, if Jeff. The asked, first one's too, if the first one's too easy, I'll give you a harder one. But here's your here's your trivia question. When this second iteration of the Washington Senators moved to Arlington, Texas in 1972, who was the manager? Frank uh, Robinson. Frank Robinson was your guess? Yeah. Uh-huh. No, it's not Frank, not Frank Robinson. Hmm. Jason, do you have a guess? No, nah, I've got no clue. I'm not even gonna try to act like I know. 
<laughs> it's the connection to me and now as living in calling to you guys from new england to being a Sox fan it was ted williams uh just for that really? first year in arlington uh after a couple of rough wow. years in, in washington as they left so ted williams was their first manager when they when they first moved from arlington there's wow. so there's our trivia link from between the rangers and the red Sox. so i've now lost a bet 37 years <laughs> in the making and i can't get a trivia question so Sweet, so we, we're on we're on the air. So here's your chance. What is the bottle of scotch? Well, I've I've been really giving this a lot of thought. We had a lovely family trip. You to, had enough time <laughs> to open a few years ago, which is a, a wonderful scotch. I've I have lovely associations of of uh, Lefroig with my dissertation advisor when we celebrate uh, finishing many years ago. But after I defended my disc, a very good friend uh, uh, bought a bottle of. 18-year-old Macallan, uh, the Macallan, and it was it was lovely. It was a really uh, wonderful scotch to toast, um, to to toast good friends and happy occasions with. And I'd love to, of course, I'm not going to hoard this thing. I'm not going to bogart it. I'm going to share it with you, Jeff. And you better other, sip and it. <laughs> yeah, and sip it, and other friends that we love. I'd love to share a glass with you too, Jason. If if the, if we had the if we had the chance, yeah. uh, to to pour and to share. So there it is, the Macallan. The 18 year old, if you don't mind. <laughs> I, I just want to thank you both because he couldn't have, he didn't say the 25. I, I, I am. I am glad you gave me something to pay attention to in this world series. Cause I was looking my wounds after the way it ended and I'm texting Jeff yeah. about the games. And he's like, what makes you think I'm watching? And I was like, I, I know you're not like, I'm the one that like seeks pain, but this gave me something to look forward to that Jeff could have to pay this off. So I look forward to you both getting to have the scotch together and uh, Jeff, uh, congratulations on this bet coming to a conclusion. I look forward to seeing what well, wager you, you take you on next. You know what? There, there needs to be a bet, though. And since you're now bringing up the Mariners, <laughs> and I'm a little wiser, uh -huh. I'm willing to say Mariners will not win the World Series in the next 20 years. That at least gives me a shot to collect. <laughs> not that you're being put on the spot. <laughs> Live on the radio, you're trying to double or nothing. The reason basically. I hesitate, my Mariner theory is this. Again, I could be totally wrong. I'm sure there are players who could, who could contradict me. When I look at the map of where the 30 Major League Baseball teams are, and I think of even if you're not going through security and you're flying a charter and more, the Mariners players have to spend a lot of time on planes. It just seems like at, at, that that has to wear you out that even for some of the wonderful Mariners teams that have that have pooped out in the playoffs over uh, over the years. Sorry, North friends in the Northwest to be uh, <laughs> at you like that. Uh, some great players, some really deserving teams. And I, I wish their fan base the best. I always wonder about that. I mean, all of these these games, you know, they're at the Rays. They're at the they're at the Rangers. You know, I mean, those Rangers flights that's in the same division. But if we're going to do this, then uh, 20 years. Sure. I'll take it. Whoa, the way oh, he was talking, I thought he wasn't doing I, it. Didn't I, you? I did not think that you were getting another bet out of this. So um, I, if, you know, if the spirit of Odomi McDowell accompanied me till today, I'm going to have the spirit of Ichiro uh, accompany me for the next 20 years. Well, look, Ken Griffey is, is it still scotch or should it just be like a glass of iced water or something? Because we'll be old men. Because <laughs> no, this, this one, I have a chance to win. So I. Uh... 
I'm look, going okay. the same bet. Look, Ken Griffey's out there okay. at the World Series game shooting photos of, of what's going on. So, I mean, there's a chance for it to happen. I only hope we're on the air in 20 years for Jeff to have to pay this bet off at, at some point. Well, I'm, I'm on the spot, but but I don't think it would be a very fun guest if I, if I said no. So I'll say, all right, I'm still going to collect this one. We're not doing some kind of double or nothing nope. thing. No, okay, you, you're, you're I'll collecting do, on I'll this. I'll do 20 years. So through the uh, through the twenty what forty four season, if we're still here, <laughs> and if the Earth is still here, uh, the, for the for the twenty twenty four season of the uh, of the Seattle Mariners, and hopefully fans in the Northwest, it will be before that. Jeff, you've got uh, some- and uh, and I only hope that that they don't end up beating the Phillies uh, to get there. Is this to get to the World Series or to win it? Uh, he just do they he, have to win it or just get to it? No, they have to win. No, they have to win it. They have, they to, have win to win it. it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, in that case. Next time you see me, I'll have the uh, the trident on my hat over my bald head and uh, cheering away. And you'd, you'd think I you'd think I, uh, you know, grew up on the sound. So well, that's good. I, All right. Go, man. Go. M. I'm, I'm glad that we could get you guys together to talk about this. Uh, I will be asking Jeff after he does send you the scotch about paying it off. So we will be talking more about this on the radio. You can listen to it. Very good. And, and it's this, been an exciting this, baseball season, and I'm glad that, that Phillies fans did have – I know it was painful how it ended, but you did have some great games, and you showed fans around the country how to act when you go to the game. So I thought that was really, really great uh, for Philadelphia, even though it ended in a rough way. And this is my favorite guest of all time. There you go. Even <laughs> though you had to send him a bottle of scotch to have I didn't on. say he was – I did not say he was the cheapest guest of all time. <laughs> <laughs> thanks all right thanks bill you take, have a great one take care enjoy the show guys take care, <laughs> take care bill thanks. bye-bye you know how much fun it was for me to get your freshman year roommate together with you i mean i'm assuming it was less fun for you because you have to buy a bottle of scotch i am just a spectator who was offered the scotch so again now the gift that keeps on giving i appreciate this terrible bet that you made jeff Yes, I, I can make bad bets all the time. And everybody <laughs> everybody benefits. But, I, you know, seriously, I could not have imagined that almost 40 years ago that I could go forward in time, have a radio show with you, and get to pull on somebody that I've known that long and, and is that dear to me. So, you know what? It was a lot of fun, even though it's going to cost me a lot of money. Were you surprised when I texted you that we have, that we have to have him on if you're comfortable? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you know me at this point. <laughs> the, the, the fact that you took great joy in my pain. No, I wasn't surprised. Isn't that really the theme of our show for the last couple of years? Taking great joy in your pain. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what? I'm going to segue this into more pain for me. Yes. It's a great. Okay. What a transition right there, Jeff. Exactly. Pain to more pain because <laughs> you're going to bring it up anyway. There's no way I'm avoiding. So we might as well hit this head on because that gentleman that we had on was the gentleman, one of the people that I went to Michigan football games week after week for four years. Oh, I should have asked him about it too. Yeah, he's in pain too. And and he's he's as honest and ethical as you could possibly imagine. So this pains him too, is, is listening to this week after week Jim Harbaugh nonsense. And when I say nonsense, I'm not saying that he didn't do it. I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve whatever it is he gets. That's the problem, is that regardless of whether Jim Harbaugh knew what was going on, for those that don't know what's going on somehow, Jim Harbaugh is is being accused, or the Michigan football program is being accused, that some dope named Connor Stallions 
has decided to tape signs that coaches have been giving on the sidelines and then using that information. It's basically where's Waldo now? Like every game <sighs> film is being scrutinized to find out that he was on the sidelines at the Central Michigan game. He was there in the end zone at the Notre Dame game. The Purdue coach yesterday said, what's crazy is it happened. We know for a fact there were a number, they were at a number of our games. So we've had to teach our guys a new language in terms of some signals. So, and, and it's the, obviously they have an interest, but it's the coaches and the ADs of the Big Ten schools that seem to be driving this now. It seemed like the Big Ten kind of underestimated how upset they would all be. I don't no, know. No, 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 how upset they're all feigning. So, so let, let, let me, let me just, this is not a defensive mission. Okay. As much as you know that this is my beloved university, this is not a defensive Michigan. This, but this is a shot at the Big Ten and anybody who's whining about this. You all knew for a really long time and said nothing because a report came out that said TCU knew about it last year and changed their gave fake signs. Okay, so if TCU C- counselor is that relevant in the conversation here? It's relevant to the whining of the other teams. I've just, just always Purdue. wanted to say that. You just to mentioned you. Purdue's coach is complaining about it. Who's Michigan playing this week? Purdue. Absolutely. Okay. Exactly. Chiano complained about it because he got his, you know, his butt handed to him. Every coach that's gotten stomped on is sitting there saying it now, and they've all known about it. There is no way that they didn't. Central Michigan's coach is complaining about it, and somehow. This guy was on their sideline. Aren't they? How the, is that possible? I get that they have a vested interest in it, but weren't they also mm-hmm. the ones that were potentially wronged by it? Wouldn't they be the ones that would have a case to make no. if they were the teams no, that played them? First of all, from from what we have heard from players, I, I know JJ Watt and some others have said, you know, this is this is not a big deal. No, like this everybody steals signs does. apparently, just yeah, not yeah. like this. <laughs> Supposedly not like this. Maybe they just don't have somebody as stupid as Connor Stallions to to sit there being the one who does it. The problem is, if you knew it was going on, you should have done something sooner. And if you knew it was going on, why couldn't you do what TCU is alleged to have done? Okay, I'll give you the flip side. If mm-hmm. if Harbaugh knew what was going on, why didn't he stop it? And if he didn't know what was going on, shouldn't he have? Why is it on the responsibility of the other teams to stop something that supposedly? No, went no, too it's far? not on. I'm not saying it's on them to stop. I'm saying that that little meeting they had the other day, where you said that the Big Ten commissioner underestimated the the ire of the other coaches. No, the other coaches are. If Michigan was four and four right now, nobody would be complaining about this. Everybody who's got a chance to sit there and say, maybe we can get the commissioner to say. Michigan's not eligible for the Big Ten championship are teams that are eligible for the Big Ten championship. That's all that's going on here. Which, by the way, only punishes them because if they don't get a team in the the playoffs, they make less money. money. So, you know, it's it's balancing interests. But what I don't understand, and you have to explain to me, Obviously, I follow John Bacon, who you've introduced us to on this show, who knows mm-hmm. more about Michigan football than I will ever learn. He still says that they're going to extend Harbaugh with a contract. What the hell is yeah, going on there? The, look, that's not there's no way that's happening unless this is all nonsense, unless the, none of this is true. And this guy is just some rogue idiot 
who, who did nothing. If he was part of the program and there's any evidence, they, look, they went on campus, the NCAA went on campus and apparently investigated all their phones, all the coaches' yeah, phones. Apparently they're back there today. Now, B- Bacon said, I think it was a day or two ago I saw it, of, that Harbaugh has to sign it. He said his sources tell him that Michigan lawyers have looked at the evidence that they don't see it as an impediment to signing Harbaugh. I, I, I just, I don't see how Well, okay, so I'm going to translate that as a lawyer. They're going to put a clause in there that says he can sign a contract. However, if there is any penalties against the university or if it's determined at a later point that he knew or should have known, then the contract is void. Okay. Yeah. There's never an impediment to sign a contract as long as you have a clause in it. So do you does that make you does that make you feel better? Well, it makes sense as to why they they would potentially still be moving forward. You're, you've got to act right. like everything's OK, even when it's not in the middle of a storm at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, what else are they going to do? Right. They've they've been caught. They have to keep moving forward. Otherwise, they're just going to sit and apologize forever, which doesn't seem like a position that the school wants to be in. Ultimately, yeah, but, I, but I will also say to you the same thing that I've said to you off the air, which is. Harbaugh's getting everything that he deserves because of the way that he carries himself. And that's the problem is that Harbaugh is a lightning rod for everything. He has made everything about himself. He takes positions that sometimes you wish he would just keep to himself, have whatever your beliefs are. You don't have to just shove them down other people's throats. And because of the way he's carried himself, I think that he invites this kind of problem. And this is the reason that he hasn't been able to stay anywhere very long. Well, he can go I mean, to the Raiders now. <laughs> yeah, he could. And he'll make it there three years. I mean, that that's the thing with him. See, in the NFL, he's going to have more of a problem than he does in college. Like in college, you can be a dictator for the most part, as long as you win. We saw how in that worked. In the NFL, with... you can't because a lot of these players are making more than you. We saw how that worked with your favorite guy, Urban Meyer, trying to yeah. be a dictator with the players. All right, yes. so, so let's get back to on the field because it's unlikely. I mean, obviously the Big Ten is the only one that can take action in a timely manner. The NCAA can't get out of their way to do anything, so they're not going to do anything. Right. So you mm-hmm. would think that Michigan will just keep playing, so let's get back to on the field. Michigan plays Purdue this weekend. My own school, Rutgers, who has qualified for a bowl game, and I will drop that every show now. Thank you. Maybe, um, just maybe, they can play in the Bahamas Bowl that is located this year in North Carolina. That would be the most Rutgers thing in the world to have happen instead of being able to go to the That's Bahamas. That's my favorite. The Bahamas Bowl has moved because they're renovating, moved to North Carolina. Rutgers actually has a, a big game on Saturday. They're the noon CBS game against Ohio State. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, oh, so you get a whole pregame of Urban Meyer. Congratulations. Oh, I don't think they're broadcasting from there. And isn't Urban Meyer the Fox pregame, not the CBS? Oh, it's yeah. Oh, I use that CBS. Sorry. Yeah, no, they they, should pay attention. I can't keep. Well, you don't pay attention when I'm talking. (laughs) I can't keep track of of what uh, conferences are on what channels. I've already told you that's driving me nuts. Um, What's your thoughts on how the college season shaking out so far? You're obviously very invested with Michigan being where they are. Has this taken away from your ability to enjoy it? Yes. That's the simple answer. Yes, this is this is not enjoyable. This should be fun. It should be fun for everybody involved. I mean, that's what college sports should be. But we've long ago learned that college football is, and college sports are no longer the innocent thing that we at least pretended it was 
in in the past. And so it's it's very hard to deal with this, internalize it and, and root. But it's not hard to root. They're still they're still student athletes and they're still going out there and playing and they're still putting it on the line. And I can tell you, J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum, there are just endless numbers of character players on this team to like it. And I hope that people don't take it out on the players because of what Harbaugh is alleged to have done. Are you watching as much college football this season or this is kind of it's sort of like what happened with you with the Sixers and like with other teams when something clouds your ability to clearly enjoy uh, what it is. You seem to have a hard time with doing what you most enjoy for that activity. Is that like, a thing? are you trying to say that I'm more uh, get off my lawn than I was? I, I don't know. I didn't realize I was going to be psychoanalyzing you with a minute left in the show, <laughs> but I never realized that, that like I am, I, although I'm always worrying, I will always look to fall in love. I want to buy in and go on the ride. You seem to be a person that the ride is colored by everything around it more. You can't, or won't or not by everything but there are certain things that are there are certain things that tainted and there's certain things that i don't want to be a hypocrite and just say is winning is the only thing i, I just don't think that's that that isn't what sports is about sports is still about sportsmanship and that cannot be lost if we're going to continue to love sports the way that we do well, I'm going to let that be the last thought because that really is the essence of the show that we do each week. So that's a good place to lose it. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night when hopefully Jeff is back to enjoying sports again to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye bye.